I think you're able to kind of back into kind of sanity checks, right? In terms of, you know, break-even occupancy and things like that that I find are important in my evaluation, right? So I want to make sure that I do a little bit of stress testing so that, you know, if some things actually don't turn out to go as well as they'd hope, that there's still going to be ample cushion, right? And I think Warren Buffett calls it the margin of safety, right? I definitely prefer deals that have uh, considerable margin of safety, right, versus something that is, is more risky and uh, a few things go wrong and you could be, you know, in a bad position, right? So what's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Dan Rowley. Today, we're talking about passive investing in syndications and the transition that Dan made from being a an active real estate investor, busy professional going out and buying his own properties to getting into passive syndication investing and really going pretty hard at it and doing a, a good number of deals, growing in that and what he's looking at moving forward. If you're somebody you're looking at considering investing in syndications, it's a great idea to meet other passive syndication investors, learn from their experiences, sponsors that they've invested with, strategies that they've used to find deals, just everything, you know, learn from people who have done what you want to do, right? And if you want to passively invest in real estate syndications and talk to other people and listen to other people who have passively invested in real estate syndications and who know what they're doing, uh, just like Dan does. Once again, our guest is Dan Rowley. If you do enjoy the show, I ask that you take a quick second, please go to the Apple Podcasts app. Leave us a rating or review, five stars if you don't mind. It's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. It helps us rank higher in Apple's algorithm so other people you know, get their eyes on the show. We grow. It helps me because I see what you guys have to say, and I genuinely appreciate all the uh, the positivity comments it, it helps me feel good right it's motivation and we're out here to help other people you know help you guys learn and that is a way that you can help others learn if you want to continue learning lessons like this how to grow your wealth in real estate take a second go to whatever your favorite podcast app is look up the passive wealth strategy show drop a subscribe and that way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device and you can join us on everyone and learn how to grow your wealth passively. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Once again, our guest is Dan Rowley. We are talking about passive investing in syndications and transitioning from being a single family, a small landlord to investing in syndications, the lessons learned along the way and all that great stuff. Without any further ado, here we go. Dan, thank you for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on, Taylor. Hey, it's been great talking with you. You have some very cool experience as a passive investor in syndications and the other things that you do outside of real estate. And we'll dive into all of that. Could you tell us, our listeners, a bit about your background, some recent life changes that you've made as a result of COVID and uh, all that great stuff? Sure thing. Yeah, in terms of work, my W-2 job, which I still hold, is uh, isn't, you know, Financially oriented. I've been a financial executive for about the last 15 or 20 years in various businesses, but most recently for the last 10 or 15 years, they've been internet businesses. So I work for an online ad network and uh, I run the business. I'm the general manager and the CFO. So I'm pretty uh, quantitative and analytical in terms of kind of my skill sets and the things that you know, I've been focused on in my career. And uh, as you referred to life changes, I was in California about 20 years until three months ago. 
And the, this last year with the COVID pandemic and everything that's gone on, it, it really uh, caused my family to reevaluate, you know, quality of life considerations where we were living. So there was COVID that was challenging. And then there was the, you know, kind of wildfire season, which was really bad this year. There was 30 days of bad air quality in a row. So I think for the sake of our kids and our family, we decided to make a change. And we, we moved from Northern California to Cary, North Carolina, where we've been for the last three months. And we're getting acclimated here. We're plugging in. And uh, so far, so good. We, we like it here so far. Awesome. Good. And, you know, I'm not originally from from the South myself. I'm originally, a you know, a Yankee. But moving South, I found that people around these areas are are much friendlier, much more open. And it's a really a great place to live. I'm just a couple hours away from you. Now, you know, as I mentioned before, you're a passive syndication investor. But, you know, in the information that I have about you and we talked a little bit at the conference, it sounds like that's maybe not the way you got started as a real estate investor. Uh, you were investing in your own properties and had some experiences there. Can you tell us a bit about how you got started as a real estate investor when you were, you know, buying properties on sale in California? I mean, that sounds like a great deal, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, timing is everything, right? I'll back up just a little bit. And uh, after I finished undergraduate school in the 1990s, I was actually, I had some interest in real estate and I wanted to learn more about it. And this was before Meetup was around, but I, I was in, I got involved in some like adult education classes and I, I started to learn a little bit about real estate, about investing, you know, about flipping, wholesaling, the various things that people were doing. But at that point, I didn't end up doing anything with it. I think I you know, didn't have a lot of capital at my discretion. And also, uh, I think I got busy with life. You know, I was spent a lot of time in my career getting established. And then I got an MBA, went to night school. So I essentially, I put that on the back burner for a while and I didn't follow up and really make any real estate investments for quite a while. But after the, uh, you know, the market correction and the mortgage crisis and everything that happened in 2012, we started to invest and things were de- definitely on sale in, you know, in California. So we picked up some properties, a handful of rental properties in the, in the Bay Area that were definitely on sale. They'd come way down in value and they could cash flow from the very start. And those have proven to be very, very favorable investments in terms of the appreciation and the rent increases and everything. So, so we got in at a good time. And uh, it's hard to time the market, but we were fortunate. <laughs> and I think it showed us the power of what real estate can do in terms of building that worth. So it, at that point, we definitely became believers in in real estate as, as a path to wealth, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think, you know, in a certain light, getting those adult education courses, even though you didn't take action right away, that meant that when the big sale happened and everybody else was freaked out about real estate, you had enough knowledge on that back burner, you know, aging in your mind like a fine wine to know that the world's not falling apart. This stuff is on sale. This is where the deals are. I'm going to go for it. So, you know, waiting still seems to have paid off because you did that preparation, you laid the groundwork and then took the action, you know, just a couple years later, which is, you know, totally fine. You went out and did it. So, so that's great. And as far as progressing in that, your, your portfolio of buying rentals on your own, how far did that get, at least before you decided to break into the syndication investing space? Yeah, we bought several more out-of-state investments because, you know, it got to the point where obviously you weren't going to make money buying in California because the, the values rose so quickly again. So we, we bought in a number of other states and we were, you know, buying one or two a year, um, roughly. And we were kind of reaching that the 10, you know, 10 finance limit, you know, 10 finance properties limit. In a couple of cases, we sold a couple and bought others, you know, where we felt there was better prospects, but we were kind of bumping up against the cap in terms of, you know, available mortgages. 
And also, I mean, each, they were fairly passive in that the, we didn't actively manage, you know, the out of state properties. We use property managers, but even then there's always going to be uh, some amount of time that you spend coordinating things and monitoring and, you know, being involved, you know, with, with owning those properties. Right. So it wasn't, it was somewhat passive, but not, not completely passive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You're asset managing, you're managing your, your property manager. Now, if you could like get us to that point where you first hear about syndication. I mean, I feel like a lot of, you know, investors out there kind of maybe remember when they first heard about, Hey, I can invest with experienced sponsors and huge deals. And my name's, my name's not on the loan. My credit's, credit's not on the line. I mean, do you remember when you first learned about syndication? Yeah. I couldn't go back in time and, and tell you exactly when the light bulb went off, but I think it was, you know, just, just, trying to keep current on what's going on in real estate and real estate investing. I think I maybe just kind of wandered into it. And then I started <laughs> to understand that it was a thing. I didn't know until maybe two and a half, three years ago that the syndications was a thing. And I'd heard other friends maybe talk about they had put money into this deal or that deal. And I didn't really at the time years ago delve into what those were. But it turns out when I think back, they were talking about syndications, right? Where they're, they're pooling their money together. But at the point that, again, what we described where, you know, wasn't really probably going to buy a lot more of our own rental properties, but I still wanted to grow in the real estate investing. I think I started to, you know, read on, you know, read online about what people were doing, doing my own research. And then I came across, you know, some of the podcasts, the well-known podcasts that are out there. And that's when I really started to educate myself more on, you know, how this works, what they do, how they do it. You know, so Joel Fairless, Michael Blanc and, well, Neil Bow was some of his educational material was certainly instrumental, I think, in, in teaching me kind of how these work and, you know, how it can be a good, good investment for a lot of different people. Right. So, so I think I just started to do my own research and gather a lot of different resources together before I pulled the trigger on one. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what we're all about here on this show, right? Education and learning and taking action. Now, one of the big, I think, questions that comes up for people when they first hear about it, it's, you know, maybe it sounds too good to be true. Like, how do I know you know, if you're being smart, right, you're thinking, how how do I know I'm not walking into a scam or a Ponzi scheme or anything like that? And I mean, you're getting educated, you're learning from all those great uh, folks that you mentioned. So I imagine that does something to allay some of those fears. Was there any of that in your mind about, okay, how is this, What what's the catch, right? I mean, you know, do you, do you remember any misgivings a lot like that? Yeah, I would have to say maybe the first investment, probably especially, you know, when I'm ready to wire the funds, I wondered, gosh, you know, what am I doing? Is this a sound? Is, you know, is this, is this, is this legit? Right. <laughs> but I think, you know, I did some basic research and I at least, you know, I, I obviously wanted to invest with operators that this wasn't their first deal. You could do some vetting and uh, checking and, you know, talk to a couple of references. So I tried to do some amount of due diligence. I would have to say, again, at the start, my, my due diligence probably wasn't what it would be now because I've just learned a lot more, right? But there was some level of due diligence that I did to get comfortable that this wasn't, you know, fly by night. It wasn't, you know, money wasn't <laughs> going to disappear once you, once you hit the wire button. But certainly I think I was a little bit nervous probably in that first one because I, I hadn't been through the experience before. And then it became subsequently a lot easier. And then I would probably also do do more intense vetting each time because I was learning more about what are the important things to be checking into, right? Uh, on my own, obviously. I mean, the operators are very important, how established they are, their track record. But then there's also just just a lot of research you probably want to do yourself on the market, the sub market, the property type, uh, just just to get a good comfort level that you know it's it's going to be a 
fruitful investment, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you do have a, a financial background. So I imagine that lends itself pretty well to, you know, especially you're learning in the beginning how to underwrite these properties, how to check that, you know, whether you agree with their, their numbers, their assumptions, you know, anything like that. How did that factor into your education, you know, learning how to underwrite and leveraging your, you know, financial background to evaluate these deals? Yeah, good question. I think I've spent a lot of my, uh, a lot of time in my career actually building complex financial models and uh, forecasting businesses. So I was involved in kind of the FP&A side of the business, right? Financial planning and analysis for many years where it was my job to kind of forecast what the business was going to produce, right? In terms of revenue and profits and everything else. So, so I'm very comfortable in that realm of, you know, spreadsheets and, and, and all the different drivers you have to put in there to try and predict how the business is going to operate. And, and in some respects, I mean, I have to say that real estate's a much simpler business forecast than many other businesses that are out there, right? Not to say it's simple, but it's a lot simpler and it's a lot more predictable, I would say, than many, many other businesses out there. So, um, so I was comfortable in evaluating financial and business plans and trying to make sure the numbers jived and synced and that, you know, there was a certain amount of data scrutiny I'd like to do. Some operators will actually give you the financial model if you ask for it. Some don't want to or some are hesitant. And I understand that. So I know in every case, I wasn't able to get kind of the working financial model. But even from what they present as kind of highlights, I think you're able to kind of back into kind of sanity checks, right? In terms of, you know, break-even occupancy and things like that, that I find are important in my evaluation, right? So I want to make sure that I do a little bit of stress testing so that, you know, if some things actually don't turn out to go as well as they'd hope, that there's still going to be ample cushion, right? And I think Warren Buffett calls it the margin of safety, right? I definitely prefer deals that have a considerable margin of safety, right? Versus something that is, is more risky and a few things go wrong and you could be, you know, in a bad position, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think. You know, it, I, I syndicate myself and I passively invest in syndications and, you know, I review a lot of other syndicators deals to keep an eye on what's going on out there. And, you know, if you if you check the math, I mean, syndicators, even with a lot of experience, still make math mistakes sometime. And that's not a, a, a you know, a grave sin. Right. But if it impacts your projections of your cash flows down the road, then, you know, that's important to be, <laughs> be aware of and try to mitigate those mistakes. I think as a passive investor. It's smart to invest some time and some energy into learning how to double check the math, especially if you're somebody who has kind of a math background and learning those basics is probably not going to be all that complicated to, to figure out. It's critical. That's right. Yeah. I think my, my investment philosophy is also kind of really driven from what's happening in, in the demographics, right? Where the demographic trends that we're seeing, right? So these things have always interested me, right? Geographic and demographic trends, the migration of where people are moving to and why certain places are growing and why certain places aren't. So that's, I think, over time, it's become more fundamentally what I look at in terms of where I invest is uh, where are the people moving to, right? The, the, the obvious things, right? And I can't say I come up, came up with entirely on my own. Like I followed Neil Bawa and he has a really good system for, you know, data driven methodologies to determine the potential of a location you're investing in. And, and one thing you don't want to be fighting if you have apartments, right, is demand. You don't want, if a city's shrinking, you got an apartment building there, you don't want to really be in that situation. So, so it really resonated with me, right, that it made a lot of sense intuitively to look at where are people moving to and that, you know, population growth. So there's a bunch of KPIs I try to look at, you know, before I invest income growth, you know, uh, the house values, have they risen? 
consistently, right? I mean, all these are kind of part and parcel with the same thing is that there's demand for housing and people are moving there and jobs are moving there, right? But it's good to validate in numbers versus just gut feel. You can see news clippings about what cities are hot, but it's also, I think, good to go a little level deeper to really understand do all the data points that are important kind of back up the claims that this city is a good you know, city to invest in. So those are all things that I've I think adopted and tried to, to focus on in terms of where I invest. So I'm, I'm investing in, you know, Texas and the Southeast and the Mountain West and these areas that have seen a lot of migration. And I think this was even before the pandemic and some of those trends have even just accelerated, right? Where even more people than I would have imagined are, are kind of making it to these metros that I've invested in. So it's validated kind of, you know, the approach, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Neil myself. He's been on the show before. He's going to come back on the show to tell us about the future of real estate as it relates to climate change, how real estate investing is going to be impacted by climate change. We don't need to dig into that right now, but just for the listeners out there, keep an eye out for that. I'm really excited to record that interview. It's not recorded yet and I'm really looking forward to that. Now, if you think back to, you know, what you knew when you first got started as a syndication investor, or compared to what you know now, what would you go back and tell yourself? Like one or two, you know, lessons that you've kind of learned along the way that if you could change how you did it or, you know, how you evaluate deals or any of that, what would you uh, tell yourself? Yeah, again, I would say that my my vetting process is much, I, I think it's, it's evolved and it's become a lot more stringent. And I think that makes sense is, you know, you don't know what you don't know the first time you do something. But that, that, all relates to not just uh, you know financial model stress testing, but I, I also know more about the asset classes than I did, right? You know, A, B, C, Core Plus. You know, at first I wasn't really aware of how these different types of apartment assets were kind of classified and kind of the, maybe the performance implications, right? And I, I think maybe I was lucky in that I, I invested in mostly solid B type assets, right? And those that have performed quite well even during the pandemic, right? We haven't seen a huge issue with really. I think there was one that was maybe a C plus uh, at best, and that was the only one that uh, stopped paying distributions this last year to preserve cash, and everything else is still paying out more or less at the projected rates, right? And so, I think it's really just this last year of pandemic and everything. It's really just kind of solidified to me that solid B assets are really resistant to you know economic. Issues, not not to say that they're new, but they're pretty resistant. I mean, let's face it: the most most of the people in these communities, maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred dollar rents, are probably the white collar workers that didn't uh, necessarily lose their job, making work remote, and they've got money to pay rent, right? But the C and D class housing—that's a different story, right? In that there was a lot more distress, probably, and you know, economic vacancy and, and those type of issues, right? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Now. Moving forward, you know, it sounds like you're maybe uh, changing your strategy a little bit, or I don't even want to say changing, expanding and, and getting more into goal, getting into the general partnership side or bringing more to the table. And, you know, one of those opportunities is being a balance sheet partner, which I don't think we've discussed on the show before. And I, I think a lot of newer syndication investors don't know that that opportunity is there. Could you explain a bit about what that means, one, and then two, what that is going to mean for you and, and your goals as a, you know, growing as a real estate investor in syndications. Sure. I think it's, uh, when you're putting together a team for investing, I mean, it requires a lot of different elements, right? It's kind of like a recipe and you've got to have people that are really good at the asset management, the acquisitions, you know, people that understand the financial operations of the business, which I could say I do. 
and the marketing, you know, fundraising, if you're talking about a 506B or 506C type offering. So there's a lot of different kind of team skill sets that you need, right? And But one of them also uh, can be, you know, balance sheet to, to be able to secure the loan, right? You need a certain amount of funds that are, you know, liquid and so forth to be able to secure a certain loan. So, um, I mean, I haven't done this yet, but I'm open to looking at joint venture opportunities or even syndication opportunities where there's an ability to maybe, you know, participate as a general partner or a JV partner using balance sheet strength, as well as some of the other financial acumen that I bring, right? And underwriting and dealing with CPAs and dealing with lenders and financial reporting and things like that. So it's in, I would hope that I might get more involved in this aspect using that. Yeah. So the, the what's in it for you there of, of basically putting up your, you know, putting your chips on the table, you know, as a balance sheet partner, is you get a bigger piece of the pie just as a result of having, you know, put your wealth and credit on the line in a certain sense, right? You get, you get more. Yeah. I'm also a big believer in diversity. So again, a lot of the deals I've done so far are, you know, pretty similar. Maybe they're B class multifamily, but I am also I think it's, it's important to maybe also diversify into different asset classes that I haven't yet gotten involved in. Maybe some industrial, flex industrial. I'll consider mobile home parks, right? I'll, you know, maybe there's other alternative investments that I haven't even really fully vetted yet, but uh, I think it's good to have money in different places, right? Cause you don't, you never know what's going to happen and what's going to perform and what may not perform. So I think diversity, not just geographically in terms of where you, you have money, but different asset classes is something I also, I think uh, I'm going to be focused on in the coming years, right? I mean, I've got some money in metals and things like that, I believe in, in the hedging, right? But there could be more diversity, I think, in terms of my future investments. And that's something I'm also looking forward to exploring, right? Yeah, absolutely. Once you kind of, once you get into the syndication space, you understand how syndication broadly works. It's not just about multifamily, like you said, industrial. I don't think we've discussed industrial on the show before. Mobile home parks, which you talked about at length. I like self storage. So you didn't mention self storage. So, but there are so many options. Plus, once you kind of have your foot in the water, you can go to people you know, your network and say, Hey, I want to learn more. I want to invest maybe in industrial. Do you know anybody that invests in industrial syndicates, industrial? And like, you might get some names, right? So it's a, it's a big space and kind of everybody knows everybody else. So it's uh, really a lot of great opportunities out there. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Dan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, great. That's what we like to hear. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, I would have to go back to the, the first real estate investments that we made in, in California, right? Where, where they were on sale, right? <laughs> Those properties have all essentially doubled in value. They're producing good cash flow. I, I have in fact sold one I'm in the process of selling another and we'll roll that you know, those gains into other properties elsewhere and other investments, right? But those have performed very, very well. I mean, I haven't maybe done the exact IRR calcs on those, but they're over, you know, six, seven years, they're north of 25, right? And so that that's pretty pretty good return, right? Yeah, that's awesome. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other, the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? This can't be a car, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, yeah, I mean, fortunately, I think that we haven't had a tremendously terrible experience with real estate investments. There's maybe one, uh, a triplex that I bought outside Houston that you know, never really performed expectations. I, I didn't lose a lot of money on it, but the vacancy was always higher. I think, uh, in hindsight, probably made the mistake of buying a little too far out from, you know, so it was maybe more of a secondary market. It, it, the economy wasn't tied enough to Houston, right? It was a little too far out. 
in, from a distance perspective. And maybe I didn't at that point drill down deep enough on some of the neighborhood, you know, demographic stuff that, that I would do now. So I, I probably lost just a little bit of money on that one. But chalk it up to experience where I think it, it's helped me learn in the future, right? Some of the things to look at and some of the, the some of the factors to be aware of so I won't repeat the same mistakes, right? Nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Well, I think it's a people business, right? And um I think the your your ability to succeed is gonna depend partly on the network that you establish, right? And so I'm still in that process of establishing a network and trying to, to broaden my horizons in terms of these real estate investments. I think initially did a lot of stuff kind of on my own, my wife and I on our own. And a lot of those things worked out. We're fortunate. But I think that I'm learning a lot from other people, some of the operators in this space, you know, the information and, you know, that they put out there. I'm, I'm trying to absorb, trying to understand how they do things. And so I think uh, networking and learning from others and just trying to get involved in talking to other people about what they're doing. So currently I'm trying to network here in the Southeast because I'm new to this area, see what people are doing locally, how they're doing it. So I'm just interested in expanding my network and uh, talking to people about what they're doing, how they're doing it. And maybe, maybe down the road, there's an ability to, uh, to form partnerships or ventures that make sense, you know, that, that could be fruit, fruitful for all of us. So that's what it's all about. Real estate is a huge people business. I think more so than any other business that I've ever been involved in. Dan, thank you for joining us today, bringing us these lessons and everything that you've learned along the way. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn from your experience as a syndication investor, if they want to, you know, talk about JVs in the future, whatever, what have you, where can people find you? Sure. Uh, maybe best to email me. Shoot me an email at uh, d2rowley. That's D, the number two, my last name, Rowley, R-O-W-L-E-Y, at yahoo.com. So I'd be happy to hear from anybody and, you know, go from there. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you for joining us once again today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, Please take a second, leave us a rating or review. Five stars, if you don't mind, on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people learn about the show. It helps us rank a little higher in their algorithm, and it helps us know that folks are out there listening and gaining value from this content. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.